Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. My name is Pastor Ashley, and I'm the children's pastor here at Grace Crossing Church. And I am really excited to get to be speaking to you today from our series, Grace Anatomy. Uh, We have been talking this entire summer about the body of Christ. So if you've been here at all throughout the summer, you have heard from Pastors Josh, Pastor Gil, and Pastor Life about how God functions on this earth through the physical representation of the church of Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, the term the body is often used to describe the church. So let's start off by taking a look at our core verse for this series, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So that's exciting because that means each and every one of us are a part of Christ's body and we are his representation here on the earth of God himself. So in the series, we started off by looking at what the body of Christ is and what it does. And so now we've moved into a part of our series where um, we're considering how the body grows. And Josh did a great job last week. If you missed his message, I encourage you to listen to the podcast. Um, He talked about how we intuitively know that healthy things grow and that growth is a process. And this week, we're going to talk about a process of the body that can either produce growth or it can stop it in its tracks. But before I get into that, um, I don't preach very often, so you guys may not know a lot about me. So let me give you just a few tidbits about me that you may not know. Uh, One thing, and this goes way back to like when I was a little kid, I have always loved dolphins. So I um, I remember being in sixth grade and my dad staying up to help me do a, some sort of project or report, and I had chosen to do it on dolphins and, of course, procrastinated until the very last minute. But I remember doing that with my dad, a dolphin report. And then, you know, as I got older, still, still love dolphins. So somehow it got out before my 16th birthday party. Now, this was like a pretty good-sized birthday party. I had friends from church and school. I don't know how it got out, but people were discussing behind my back that I like dolphins because... Just about every gift I got at my 16th birthday was somehow dolphin-themed. I mean, I still have, like, dolphin clocks and a dolphin music box and dolphin figurines. I mean, I didn't even have room on my shelves for all the dolphin figurines. And then the highlight was when I got married and Josh and I went on our honeymoon. I got to meet a dolphin in person, and it was awesome. And I guess they're not a person, but, you know, I'm a person. So I got to meet a dolphin. It was crazy. It was just so much fun. And so I've always loved dolphins. Another thing that I really love is I love food. I love pizza. Pizza's awesome. Also chocolate, also cookies and cake and basically anything sweet. Really, really good. I really love all kinds of food. Of course, if you know me at all, you know that I really love my family. I have had the privilege to work with my dad, Pastor Gill, and my husband, Pastor Josh, here at this church for over the last five years, and that's been awesome. I've gotten to live close to my immediate family, my mom and sister, so that's been such a blessing. I love my kids. Uh, If you were here 
right at the beginning of service, you saw my son run in and <laughs> come and say hello and make his appearance. But uh, I love my kids so much that it's scary, even though they take from me my other great love, which is sleep. <laughs> and if you have young kids or you ever have, you know what I mean. <laughs> So now you know me a little bit better, right? If I share some of the things I love, you know me better. And that's what we do when we try to get to know somebody. We want to figure out what are the things that they love, you know? What are the things that they're passionate about? But love can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In fact, if you look in the dictionary, or as I did on dictionary.com, there are over 20 definitions of the word love and its variations. So it's no wonder that we can get confused, right? Because there's the infatuation type of love, there's the I like pizza and dolphin kind of love, there's physical love, there's the word for scoring zero in tennis kind of love, <laughs> which I don't get, but the list goes on and on. But today we're going to talk about love as it is defined by the Bible. 1 John 4.16 just flat out says, God is love. So it's probably pretty important that we figure out what that means. But don't be fooled. Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I wanted to just come up here and chat about love all day long. This is not the wishy-washy overnight love of Disney movies and uh, Hallmark Channel, which, you know, I do enjoy, but that's not the kind of love that we're talking about today. We really legitimately were here uh, in our series. The love that we're going to talk about today is the gritty, tough kind of love that can be hard and painful, but it's eternally rewarding. So let's dive into God's word to look at the role of love within the body and how it affects the body's growth. We're going to look in Ephesians 4. Um, and so Paul is the writer here. He's writing a letter to the church of Ephesus to explain to the church who they are in Christ and what their response to their position in Christ should be. So he takes the first three chapters of the book to focus on the church's relationship with God. But then in chapter 4, he starts to shift his focus and he begins explaining to them how they should operate in their relationships with other people. So he starts chapter 4 by discussing the gifts within the body and how each person is made for a purpose and mutual support, building each other up. And we're going to start reading in verse 13. He says this, meaning the mutual support and building each other up, will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, the Greek word that's used for love in the two instances of this passage is the word agape. And this love differs from the other Greek words used for love. It doesn't mean physical love and it doesn't mean friendship or family love. Outside of the biblical writings, actually the word agape is only used just a handful of times, but it's found hundreds of times within the Bible. Agape love is not brought about by the worthiness of its object, but it originates in the value given by God. 
This love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, or unworthy. It is unconditional love. Agape love desires only the well-being of the one being loved. And this is how God chooses to define himself. This is how he calls us to live so that we can grow in maturity within the body. So that type of love sounds pretty hard, but thankfully, the Bible gives us insight as to how we can follow Christ, the head of our body, to live and grow in love. So Jesus, God's son, was sent to this earth to rescue us from our sin, to be the perfect example of how to follow God on this earth. When Jesus' apostle John begins his gospel, he describes Jesus' coming to earth like this in John chapter 1, verses 14 and then 16 and 17. John says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So twice in this passage, John uses the phrase grace and truth to explain the, the spirit in which Jesus came. So follow me here. If 1 John 4.16 says God is love, and he sent Jesus as his perfect representation of love, and Jesus came in grace and truth, then I want to make a case to you today that perfect love within the body can only be fleshed out through acting in grace and speaking the truth. As I've been thinking more about grace and truth, it's so interesting to me that grace and truth aren't necessarily opposites, but finding the balance between them is really, really hard. I would say that for all of us, we probably have a leaning one way or the other. We're either like more of a grace-leaning person or more of a truth-leaning person. We probably have a default one way or the other. And of course, the temptation with all of these different types of people interacting within the body is going to be misunderstanding. And there's a temptation that we would not get to know the other person based on their differences, and it could hinder unity and growth within the church. So I would say today, let's work together to understand why we need both grace and truth to grow in love and maturity. So we're going to start with grace. Grace is so often found in the Bible and is so important to us here that it's actually in the name of our church, right? Grace Crossing Church. It's a hugely important concept. But sometimes I think that grace can get confused for love itself because it carries with it that idea of the caring and the kindness part of love. And we really like that part of love. So we're going to head back to Ephesians 4 and look at the beginning of the chapter in verses 1 through 3. And Paul says here, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. So in that description is a great picture of why grace is so important within the body. Giving grace helps people feel united and accepted and cared for. 
Grace means giving kindness beyond what someone deserves. It is being overly generous in your treatment of others. You know, if you look at the definition of grace, grace actually has a lot of connections with the word favor. And so acting in grace means expressing favor to another person, even if you don't feel favorable towards that person. It's really working towards more unity. According to Paul in this passage, it is also being humble, gentle, patient, and peaceful. It's making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. I really like that phrase, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. I think that within the church, that means being the church, being the extension of Jesus Christ, even when it's really hard. It means loving those who don't deserve it when they've gotten themselves into a mess. It means extending love to those inside the church even after they've sinned. It means extending grace to someone when they still have a long way to go. And when I read those words and I read those descriptions and those lovely sentences about what it means to love, I look at my own heart and I see that my default is not to be a grace person. I see things as very black and very white and I feel like, you know, not that I want to be mean to people, but that I just feel like people get what they deserve. You know what I mean? If you make this choice, then you get this. This is just cause and effect, right? But when I'm tempted to write somebody off or I want to stop interacting with somebody, maybe because they've hurt me or because it's inconvenient, I remember the head of our body and the Lord brings back to my mind, the grace that I've been extended, that I was once a sinner, and that Christ redeemed me. So let's keep reading in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 4 and verse 7 says, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So this goes back to the idea that we're all one, but we all have differences. We're all given special gifts. And I think that this is really cool in this verse because it's translated here as gifts, so we each have, you know, different abilities. But the word gift is also the same word that is often translated as grace as well. And so we can read this verse and see that it can be translated, each one of us has been given a special grace through the generosity of Christ. Our gifts and abilities, those gifts that we love to talk about within the body, are not from our own merit, they're not from our own doing, but they have been given to us as a grace from God. If you have ever been tempted to look down on another person within the body, just remember that you're only where you are because of God's unmerited grace in your life. All the gifts that we have, all the gifts that we love to share, those are already first given to us through grace in Jesus Christ. And we get to live those out within the body, but let's not look down on one another for someone who might be farther along behind us. So grace is obviously a wonderful representation of God's love, but we also need to understand that grace alone is not enough to just show God's full love. In fact, if we love by grace alone, we will slow growth within the body. 
Another New Testament author, Jude, said at the beginning of his letter that he wanted to write a letter to his fellow believers celebrating their salvation in Christ, but he felt it necessary to write about the topic of defending the faith instead. He tells us the reason why in verse 4. So Jude 1.4, it says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. That's intense. For they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So if we consider this verse, we see that these people are using God's grace. They're abusing the idea of God's grace to encourage people in things that they should not be encouraged in. It can actually slow the growth and maturity of the body if we're encouraging people to live in a way that's not lined out in the scriptures. We're not to be encouraging of someone while foregoing the standards that God has set out in his word. God sets limits for us for our safety and our health and for a reason. God is the perfect parent. So if you're a parent or you're a grandparent or a caregiver of some kind, maybe a babysitter, and you have ever had to make a child eat something healthy for them that they did not want to eat, raise your hand. Have you ever had to make a kid eat something they did not want to eat? Okay. Um, you guys will appreciate this next clip. Take a look at the screen. Go, go, Every go. year, thousands of children are forced to eat vegetables. Think of the children. Joseph, do you want a cookie? You have to eat your veggies first. Save the children from vegetables and everything else. <laughs> it is? Never learn to do the things that are healthy for them. 
And I think, you know, as a children's pastor, I've actually, you know, I get asked a lot of questions about this. Like, how do I balance with my kids? How do I set limits for them? But I want them to grow up, you know, and make the right decisions. So a lot of times this even comes up in the topic of, you know, should I force my kids to come to church or go to their class or things like that? And... Um, Parents will say, I want them to be able to grow up and choose for themselves to follow the Lord. And so I'm just going to let it be their own choice. And so I often share with them my own story that I'm so glad that my parents set healthy limits for our family, brought me to church, and I was able to be in an environment where I could develop a healthy, growing relationship with the Lord that is my own. But also, in uh, my opinion, since my soapbox is already out, I'll just continue. Um, I think a lot of children would also choose to eat candy and chocolate and not eat their vegetables and not do their schoolwork and not even go to school, maybe. How many kids have asked, I don't want to go to school today? Well, you have to go to school, right? So why would we let kids make their own spiritual decisions before they can even have their own driver's license, right? So we need to set healthy limits for our kids, and we as parents know that, right? As far as their physical health, I would say we need to do the same thing for their spiritual health. Okay, anyway, moving on. Just like eating vegetables, <laughs> parents understand that there are healthy limits for their kids, and God, by his grace, sets healthy limits for us by giving us truth to live by. So if grace helps people feel cared for, I feel like sharing truth makes sure that people are cared for. Absolute truth is found within God's word, and Jesus Christ is the only way to God. So not sharing this truth is not only unhealthy within the body, but it's unhealthy for the world. We're going to head back to Ephesians 4 again, and this time we're going to look at verses 21 through 25. Here's what it says. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. The passage we started with today in Ephesians 4.15, it says, We will speak the truth in love. This is all part of maturing in Christ. Untruth within relationship really breeds division. I mean, how close can you really be with a spouse or friend or family member or church body member if you're not being honest? The more lies that are told or more truths that are covered up, maybe, the more far your connection will be from that person. You're not going to be able to have a close relationship with them anymore. I've seen this happen in church specifically. I've seen people be dishonest about maybe the area where they're serving, and they don't want to let anybody down, and so they just continue to serve in an area where they don't feel like they're in the right, maybe, part of the body, like they're not in the area that's fulfilling to them and they're not doing well at it and they just continue to serve there and they tell everyone that it's going fine and then all of a sudden they say 
oh yeah, I won't be able to be here next week and also never again. <laughs> and then they're gone. They're out of the body. They're out of the church all because they were too afraid to speak up and tell the truth and work you know, with leadership or their people that were in their team to find a place that was better for them to serve and to work within the body. And so I would ask you this, if you are afraid to speak the truth, just take a moment to consider, are you keeping the truth from someone else to help them or are you doing it to protect yourself? Now, I'm not saying that all of our thoughts and all of our feelings need to be shared with everyone all the time. I don't think that's healthy either, okay? But I'm just asking that if you feel a conviction about sharing the truth with someone and you're not, and you're not doing it out of fear, where is that coming from? So um, maybe it's because you're not even sure how to talk about it. And so often we can share the truth in a way that is less hurtful to others if we're truthful about how we are feeling. So, for example, let's say my house is really, really messy, right? And I don't feel like it's my fault, okay? Now, I have young kids, so it's often their fault. But if I came home and told my husband, you are such a slob, that's going to harm our relationship. But if I come home and I say, you know what, honey? When I come home and it's messy, I feel really stressed and unsettled when our house is dirty and things aren't organized. So how can we find a balance to work together that works for both of us, like with our time, when I'm home, when you're home? How can we work together? I mean, which one do you think will work better, right? Trust me, I've tried both. The second one works better. I think also, you know, think about from a parent's perspective. Let's say you have a child that's making choices that, you know, you don't agree with. And you say, you've got to stop doing that. You're going to get yourself killed, right? Well, they may have a pushback to that. But what if you came to them and you said, you know, when you make these choices, I feel really concerned for your safety as a mother or as a father, right? That you're coming and you're not telling them what will happen. You're telling them how you're feeling about it and then you guys can talk about it together. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to solve every problem in your life, but if we take a little bit of time before we come to someone with a concern or with a truth that might be hard for them to hear, it's going to take more work, but I think that in the end it will help our relationship and make it easier to share truth with people. And as I said, I've tried it both ways. So I'm pretty sure that the second one, now I don't have it all together. You know, my husband said, oh, wouldn't that be nice when I shared my illustrations with him? I said, hey, I'm getting better, okay? <laughs> but I also think that um, there's another side of truth when we talk about that the Bible is the absolute truth. Maybe, you know, bringing more truth into your life means that you need to renew your commitment to digging into the truth of God's word. So if we're not coming into contact and experiencing his truth regularly from his own word, right, directly to us, then how are we going to be able to apply that into our lives? I think this is something that is really hard to do. It can be really exhausting. It, to me, is kind of like a lifelong run. 
I'm not a runner. <laughs> I do not like to run. I know we have runners here. I know. <laughs> there are people that love to run, and I'm not meaning to offend. I'll say it gracefully. I personally don't like to run because it's just boring. It goes on forever and ever. And I think that last year, I kind of got in a rut like that with my Bible reading. I just felt like it was the same thing over and over again. And then I started doing it less frequently. And there would be these long, you know, weeks in between me actually grappling with God's word. And so my husband, wonderful, he came to me and just said, hey, did the thing, you know, the gracious thing. Hey, is there anything I can do to kind of help? I sense you're struggling here, you know. I said, look, babe, I appreciate it, and I know I need to read the Bible, but I've read the whole thing multiple times. I know what's going to happen. Like, I know that Eve is going to eat the apple and that Jesus is going to rise from the dead and that God's going to conquer all in the end, you know? It feels like I already know these stories, right? But I just, I obviously felt like there needed to be a change for me, that I needed to get back into God's Word. And so... Through God's grace, he helped me find a plan that was different. It wasn't like from Genesis through Revelation. It was more like, instead of a marathon, it was more like circuit training. Like I got to do a chapter from the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was just amazing how many times it would line up. Like there would be something in the Old Testament, and then Paul was talking about it in the New Testament, referencing it. And it just like opened my eyes to a whole new world of what God was saying in his word. And so um, I would encourage you, if you don't have a plan that you're on where you're, you know, getting into God's word on a regular basis, find one on you version, find a devotional that works. Um, definitely supplement with devotionals and sermons, but make sure that you're reading God's word for yourself as well, that you're grappling with the truths that are coming directly from his mouth. So that is one way that we can be sure to incorporate more of God's truth in our life. So I already shared that grace is vitally important, but if we love by grace alone, we slow growth. On the other hand, although love cannot be shared without truth, if we love by truth alone, we blow growth. Now, I promise you, I've given more than my fair share of truth bombs without grace, and I've found that after many years of doing this, it has pushed me away from people in relationships and even made people afraid to be themselves around me for fear of judgment. So the Lord was convicting me in this area, and I was reading his word, and I came across a verse that just really stuck with me. So I wrote it on my bedroom mirror so I would see it in the morning, when I got up and I would see it at night before I went to bed. And it says something like this. Where words are many, sin is not absent, but she who holds her tongue is wise. So truth doesn't mean that we say everything that's on our mind. It's still wisdom to hold our tongues at the right time. So the verse on my mirror is Proverbs 10:19, And I want to read it to you in the NLT because it really leaves no room for confusion. It says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. So I think there's just not much more to say about that. So we just, sometimes it's the sensible thing to keep our mouth shut and just move on. For truth people, I think giving grace is really hard. I don't know if you guys remember a few weeks ago when Pastor Life preached, but he shared a video of 
uh, like a couple in counseling and the woman had like a big nail in her head and the husband was trying to tell her, you know, you've got a nail in your head, that's why you have headaches. <laughs> and I think truth people just want to, we see somebody with a nail in their head, we want to run across the room and we just want to rip it out and just say, there, your problem is solved. We just want to help them, you know, just rip the nail right out. But I think that grace, when we bring grace into the equation, that grace is like the anesthesia that allows God to do the surgery that is needed in people's hearts. We couldn't do surgery without anesthesia, without it going really, really horribly, right? And we wouldn't want to take the truth of God's word. The Bible says it's like a sword. If we take the truth of God's word without grace, it will cut people. It will hurt people. So you need both. Now, I think for grace people, speaking truth when it's hard for the other person to hear is also really tough. But remember what Paul says in Ephesians 4 too. He says we are to make allowances for each other's faults because of our love. He doesn't say make allowances for each other's faults because you're afraid to upset them. Or don't make allowances for each other's faults because you're afraid they might not like you anymore. Don't deny your gift of grace, but trust the Lord enough to speak the truth to those that you love. All right, so we talked about grace and truth. So if we love by grace alone, we slow growth. On the other hand, if we love by truth alone, we blow growth. But if we can love others as a balance between grace and truth, we will show growth as the body of Christ. Even in our physical life, balanced love helps us grow, like we talked about with kids and their vegetables, right? But modern science is now proving through controlled studies that human beings are literally engineered for love. We're made for love. It's like our DNA has the message inside of it that says, I need to be loved and to love in order to survive. One of the oldest recorded experiments done that proves this point was done by the German king Frederick II in the 13th century. He wanted to find out what language children would speak if they were never spoken to. Really, he just wanted to prove that they would speak German, but anyway, you'll see what happens. So uh, he definitely had pride in his country, but King Frederick took 50 babies from their mothers at birth and placed them in the care of nurses who were told not to speak in their hearing. The nurses were to take care of their physical needs for cleanliness and sleep and food, but they couldn't interact with them on a personal level. So what language did the babies end up speaking? Well, they never found out because all of the 50 babies died. So we know that in our physical life, we need love to grow and to survive. Even today in orphanages where children are just kept their physical needs taken care of, but not the love of a caregiver, someone to be there to nurture them. They grow up with physical disabilities and mental disabilities. And I think that there are churches in America and people within churches in America that are growing up in this dysfunctional way. They're growing up without the balanced love that God has for us within the body. Their growth is stunted, and we don't want to be a church like that. So before I wrap up today, we're going to just talk about one more chapter that shows us how to love within the body. We'll rewind back to our core verse for this series, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Paul says, 
All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Then he goes on to list a number of specific gifts that God gives and um, has for people within the body. Paul reiterates the fact that we are all made up differently with different gifts. Not everybody does everything, right? But then he finishes up the chapter by saying, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And from here, Paul goes into what I think is probably the most famous passage about love in all of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. The practical applications of love that we see in this chapter are widely universal. They've been used that way, right? They're used in weddings. They're used in movies. <laughs> they use verses from 1 Corinthians 13. But I think it's really important for us to remember that they were originally written for the body to show the body how to grow in maturity and love with one another. So without reading the entire chapter which I encourage you to go back and do this week. I summarized a few points of how love is fleshed out in our life. So according to 1 Corinthians 13, someone who is loving, shows patience, is kind, isn't jealous, arrogant, prideful, or rude, is someone who's not irritable, easily angered, or offended, doesn't hold past sins against others, isn't happy about injustice, but is happy when the truth is brought to light, never gives up or loses hope. Love is the God-ordained remedy to almost any relational challenge that we will face in this life. So I just want you to take a second and think about a situation in your life. Maybe something's come to your mind as I've been speaking today or a person has come to your mind as uh, you were listening to these words, but just think about a situation that you are facing where love needs to be brought in. Now let's think about that list I just shared from 1 Corinthians 13. Is there a way that God has already prescribed in his scripture that you could use to respond? Do you need to show patience? Be kind? Put down your pride? Let go of jealousy? Stop taking offense? Forgive the past? Rise up against injustice. Take a stand for the truth. For me, as I'm thinking about this and thinking about, you know, the stage of life that I'm in right now, there is a ton of uncertainty that I am walking through. I'm pregnant. I'm dealing with a ton of morning sickness, morning sickness, which is really all-day sickness. <laughs> I am going to be moving into a new phase of ministry with my husband. We need to sell our house. We're preparing for a new baby while worrying about the baby's health, hoping that everything goes okay. So I was asking God, all right, so what's my love remedy to this? All this uncertainty and all this fear that's going on in my life. And I felt like he said, I need to set aside my irritability. And I need to remember to not give up and not lose hope in the promises that he's already given. So if you're taking notes or if you have your phone or just a piece of paper to write on, I would want you just to write out just a couple of words to help you think about that situation that we talked about. Write that to help you think about the situation and then write the love remedy that you feel like God is placing on your heart. And you feel free to do that here 
as I read um, this final passage from 1 Corinthians 13. So Paul comes back to the body's gifts, but he says that they pale in comparison to love as we grow in maturity within the body. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 11 and verse 13. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let's just pray and let's ask God to help us to be able to live out his love through grace and truth and grow as the body of Christ. Lord, I just I thank you that even though you've called us to this tough task of loving one another within the body and those in our circle of influence outside of the body, I just thank you that you have given us the way to walk forward in this love, that you have given us um, just not only your spirit to bring things to our mind and to open our eyes, but that you've given us your word to just lay out a path forward for us that we can see what you're calling us to do, God. Even though not every situation is laid out in the scripture or the sermon that I talked about today, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just put it in people's hearts, God, to know what you're calling them to do. Lord, I just pray for courage for those people that need to speak truth to someone in their life or speak truth to their own hearts, God, to just reiterate the truth that you give in your word. I pray for courage. Lord, I just pray for patience and peace for those people that need to be gracious, Lord, to those in their circle of influence, be gracious to themselves when they mess up. I just pray, God, for grace and truth to just permeate each of our lives and our hearts. I pray that as we go from here, that you would not allow these things to fade away, but that we would carry them with us and that we would begin to see the growth that you're doing in our lives and in this body. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.